to the Employer Blueprint Podcast, where we help leaders build great teams for great companies with your host, entrepreneur and leadership coach, Kyle Gorman. We will all face change the course of our leadership journey. Whether you have started a business uh, and as your business grows, you're going to be bringing in new leaders in your company. You're going to be bringing in new employees and people that you're counting on and depending on to help um, excel and and move your organization forward. Or if you're not a business owner, but in your leadership journey, you may be moving into new companies or taking on promotions. There will always be change. And so much of the key to this change being successful is preparing for it on the front end, to know what to do on the front end to ensure that that you're successful, your business is successful. As you you navigate this this journey, as you navigate this transformation that you're going through. And so what I want to recommend to you is constantly be thinking about as as you prepare to move yourself into some sort of transformation, think about what do I need to do now to prepare to succeed in the future, what are the what are the the pieces that I can put in place now? How can I prepare for this moving forward? Today's guest, Ron Carucci, is an expert in this and has done some extensive research on this. Um, in fact, he's been able to share it as a contributor to the Harvard Business Review and to Forbes, best-selling author of eight books. His latest being one called Rising to Power, where he specifically talks through a lot of this and transformational leadership. And in fact, through their study, they found that that more than 50% of the time, leaders fail in the first 18 months of their new appointment, their new assignment. And they've, they've actually been able to, through that, uncover what are the differentiators, what are the capabilities of successful leaders that really set them apart. And we're going to talk through those today as well. We have some really amazing information in here, but you've got to figure out how you can apply this to your environment. How does this make sense for you? Whether you are uh, excelling in your career as a leader or whether you're bringing in leaders in your business, how do you make sure that you don't land into one of those 50% that are going to fail? But instead, how do you prepare now to make sure that you are going to succeed and that your company will succeed moving forward as you go through this transformation. I, I really think you're going to enjoy today's episode because we, uh, we talk about a lot of things and many of them I know we could dive in even further, but there is some amazing information in here as it relates to transformational leadership. As always, be sure to subscribe to the show. And if you have any questions whatsoever, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. You can email us at podcast at employerblueprint.com. Well, I want to thank you so much for joining us this week on the show. Uh, we've got our friend Ron Carucci with us and um, has just some some amazing experience and done some incredible research um, uh, on leadership and, and uh, the leadership principles and capabilities and what that means for our business as well. So we really look forward to diving into some of that. But Ron, um, first of all, thank you for joining us. And secondly, uh, as we get started here, why don't you just walk us through what what is your career journey looked like and what brought you to where you are now? Hmm. Well, Kyle, thanks for having me. It's great to be with you. Hello to all your friends in Kentucky there. Mm-hmm. Um, so gosh, my... Um, I began my career uh, a long time ago. <laughs> um, I, I, let me—I'll start with the career I'm in now, because uh, uh, I've always been fascinated by the organization of human endeavor. You know, people coming together to accomplish things that they couldn't accomplish on their own. Yeah. Uh, 
I loved organizing fundraisers in school. I, you know, when, when it came time to bring people together, I wanted to be the guy that yeah. convened them to get things done. Uh, went to school, got my degree in organizational behavior, mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, learned that there's a whole field of people that do this. Mm-hmm. Um, worked for a while inside big companies, but began to realize quickly that politically I wasn't astute enough to figure out how to tell the truth and do it in a way that people wanted to hear it inside. Yeah. And I realized yeah. that, you know, the more severance packages I collected, the more, the, the more I realized that I got paid better outside of companies to tell the truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I realized I'm probably going to, if I'm going to live out my passion for organizations, it's probably going to have to be by not being part of one. Mm-hmm. And so I uh, started my own firm 15 years ago with two friends of mine. Mm-hmm. And for the last 15 years, we've spent our, Days traipsing alongside leaders and organizations of all sizes and kinds, who are who are pursuing some type of transformational change, some type of need to get from where they are stuck in a ditch or seeing some great opportunity they can't get to, uh, and helping them construct a journey that gets them where they want to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and, and and let's talk about that transform transformational change. You know, there's there's different ways to define that or different aspects of that, and uh, one of them is specifically to the leader. And mm-hmm. when that leader is going through some sort of transformation, whether it be through promotion, whether it be through uh, just kind of org- organizational structure changing or scaling of a business, so what does it mean for the business owner or business leader that is whose career is transitioning? And mm-hmm. and as they are as they are transforming, what are some things that they need to keep in mind and be prepared for on the front end to be successful on the back end? Well, so yeah, it's a really Great question, Kyle. Let's assume that this leader is transitioning to a role that's bigger than the one they're in. Yeah. yeah. Um, whether it's a promotion or a new company, but there's more responsibility, more visibility, mm-hmm. more complexity to the role that they've taken than the one they were in. And that's the research we mostly studied to understand why is it that more than half of those leaders get into roles uh, at a bigger scale and fail within 18 months? Wow. And why is that? You know, for all the folks you talk to that are recruiters, um, they love it because it's an annuity for them. But yeah, but yeah. beyond that, why has it been acceptable for so long? And why is it we believe we can't do better than playing Russian roulette with people's careers? Mm-hmm. So we dug in to find out, you know, of course, a 10-year longitudinal study, um, more than 2,700 folks in that study to understand how is it that people who were seen as bright, sharp, with incredible promise and potential could suddenly become disasters in a year. Um, turns out organizations help them become disasters. Hmm. There are things people put in their way along that rise that are landmines they don't realize are, are there. So let, let's let's take the example right from the very beginning of a leader who's considering transitioning hmm. and they're in an inter- interview setting for a bigger job, either at another company or even in their own. And, you know, recruiters are still using the two least reliable devices. We now have plenty of research to tell us these are the two least reliable devices to predict whether somebody can do a job, the resume and the interview. Yeah. But that's what we're still using. So people are looking at you and they're saying things like, wow, look at these phenomenal brands you've built before. That's what we need. Or my gosh, you built these great technologies and these apps at your last job. That's what we're looking for. Or... God, my gosh, you are, you seem to be a, have the white glove golden fingers when it comes to growing sales forces. You're, you're just what we're looking for. Mm-hmm. And in those statements, the person on the receiving end of them feels terrific and they feel wanted and they feel like, oh, well, I can be successful here. And they don't realize they are being set up to fail. Yeah. Because what you're saying to that person is you have a recipe, you have a formula, 
mm-hmm. you have an answer. We want you to come slap on here. And right. so you, you, you're, cre- you're presenting this mythical mandate to come and change something um, with, devoid of learning, devoid yeah. of understanding the context, devoid of adapting. Um, then you start coming in and doing what you believe you, 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 you're brought in to do by slapping on your answer. Mm-hmm. to the organizational context that's there without reading in the tea leaves, without understanding and adapting to who they are and building credibility. And then suddenly, of course, the organization resists. Right. You start slapping harder. Um, then you out of your frustration because it's not working and your fear of looking like you didn't, you know, of not proving yourself that you were a good hire or not earning your keep, yeah. you start getting frustrated and you start saying things like, well, you didn't tell me it was this bad right. or my gosh, how have you people made any money? Mm-hmm. Uh, and your diagnosis becomes an indictment of the environment that's there. And that starts to happen within eight to 10 weeks, right? And yeah. the seeds of failure are already sown uh, for your demise. Mm-hmm. That's just a couple, Kyle. There yeah. are plenty more that <clears throat> as people enter new situations, um, don't realize with the best of intentions. Um, you know, we, we've all heard the leader come in and say, I'm just going to listen and learn for, th- for 90 days and really get the lay of the land. Someone two weeks in says, hey, where's your 90-day plan? Out goes the learning, income right. the consultants, right. task forces are formed, yeah. you know, all kinds of dust being kicked in up, and I'm, I'm here to show you that I mean business. <laughs> right? Yeah. Just, it's a, that's, the, that's the beginning of a death spiral. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's all well-intended death spirals, but, but death spirals nonetheless, and it's so painfully avoidable. Yeah. Um, so for many leaders, let's imagine they get past that painful moment. But now the, the things that really trip them up are, you know, suddenly uh, the data they're getting is not reliable. It's sifted. It's sanitized. Um, what they're making decisions on based on what's coming up underneath them, people are sort of eh, not quite giving them the full scoop. And they're not quite sure what data is reliable, what's not. So the idea of getting, I, especially if it's a promotion, I used to get great data. People would tell me anything. Now they're like hedge, hedging their bets. Right. That, that can be very disorienting for folks. Mm-hmm. The whole relational landscape has changed, right? People who are your direct reports don't talk to you anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, people who are your peers are now your direct reports. People who are your bosses are now your peers. Um, and all those boundary conditions have to be reset and reoriented right. because people are going to, you know, you, you're thinking, hey, I'm still me. And you're really yeah. not you anymore. You're not. You're That's right. You're a different you and you can't be that same you anymore. But you also can't be inauthentic and contrived. So how, mm-hmm. how do you do that? The other one that many leaders um, uh, struggle with uh, in more visible places is the issue of um, what what I call embodiment. Your your life now plays out on the jumbotron. Mm -hmm. Everything you do and say is in public. It's visible. People talk about you at the dinner table at at home at night. And and it's like you have a megaphone strapped to your mouth 24-7. Everything you say is amplified. You, you, You can't raise an eyebrow without somebody attaching meaning to it. If you're walking down the hall fast, some of this is an emergency right. and you just have to go to the bathroom. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so all of a sudden the, the things being attributed to you, you know, Joe said, I never said, I can't tell you how many executives that I work with start off with, you know, they're all using my name and I never said any of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And all, all of that stuff, the, the alien next door relationship landscape, you know, the, who am I, am I my, the, the amplification of you, uh, and the, the, the data sifting, that's all just part and parcel normal of what it means to take on a broader and more visible assignment. If you're in a new company, it's even more painful because now you're also learning a new language, learning you know, where the bathroom even is. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and now you're feeling more vulnerable 
and more exposed. Mm-hmm. Um, and nobody tells you about any of that stuff. Right, right. exactly. So yeah. it's not surprising. All of that material uh, is potential for derailment to, to yeah. set you up, go off course. Um, so th- those are just some of the things that we've seen you know, in a transformational journey of your, of your own career, you yeah. have to prepare for emotionally, psychologically, practically, relationally, you have to, un, you know, um, steal yourself up to navigate that, um, stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if no one tells you to expect it, you think you're the problem or you right. want to hide it. You want to think, you know, th- th- no one told me about this stuff. So you think it's got to be a secret mm-hmm. and you got to keep this, you know, stiff upper lip and this strong face on. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just setting you up for more failure. Right, right. One one of the things as you walk through that that I find really interesting as well is um, that 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 you as the leader have got to adapt um, to the organization to be able to succeed in this role, and and the organization you know the organization is going to have a, a structure, a culture, some core values that they sort of operate under, and. Um, uh, and and although we may have created this this recipe as you call it of of what has worked in the past, there has to be some adaptation. Um, and obviously, part of that is a give and take uh, with the organization that they've got to be prepared that you've got a new leader coming in. And so I imagine the organization when they are bringing a new leader into whether whether through promotion or whether you know especially coming from the outside, um, there's some things that the company has got to do as well to be prepared to help them set up to succeed. Because one of the things that, that we often see uh, companies really not help someone in this new role, it, it, it kind of fail these new employees, is um, they, they expect them to come in and hit the ground running is the way they always want to put it. And, um, and that's really just not reality because there, there's got to be some acclimation time that comes in with, in with that. So what can the company do, small or large, what can the company do to make sure that when this new leader's coming in, they have set up a plan for success to help them make sure that they get past that 18-month mark that we see yeah. this failure rate? So the, uh, I, love the, I love the expression that you brought up, the, the dangerous hit the ground running. I tell people hit the ground learning. Yeah, good. I like um, that. And, and, and accept that it, if it's this screwed up, if the, the person who you fired or the person who retired messed it up and it, it took you years to get it this in this ditch, they're not going to rescue you. There's no, there's no savior here. Mm-hmm. Don't look for this silver bullet. You know, it's going to be painful to change and get dig out of it. Accept it. Um, yeah. Do not put any, you know, mythical savior syndrome pressure on an incoming leader because they'll take the bait. They're going to be anxious enough. Happens in three different chunks. It happens technically, happens socially, and it happens organizationally. Mm-hmm. And it takes a year. Uh, onboarding is not employee orientation the first day. It's not the first 90 days, right. the first month of lunches you set up for people. It's a year to mm-hmm. do it well. Socially, make sure people are building relationships, networks, connections to the right stakeholders, um, that they're feeling welcomed. Um, and especially important at the six-month mark, if people are still isolating, if they're eating lunch alone, if they're not, mm-hmm. if they haven't built a network of people, you know, be very worried because that's a that's a real red flag. Yeah. Technically, j- just because someone has expertise doesn't mean they can apply it in your in your shop. So mm-hmm. make sure that technically, the, the things you brought them in to do are being married to the areas they need to be done. Um, it's usually not in their own department, especially if they're at a higher level, right? It's usually at some border war that they've got to cross. 
to get done. So make sure technically people are prepared to apply the capabilities, but are also learning technically how they work in your, in your world. Mm-hmm. And then organizationally, make sure they have access to the information they need. Make sure they have access to the parking garage. Make sure they know how to get their benefits filed. You know, the employer orientation stuff doesn't you know, get done after they sign all the forms in day one. Mm-hmm. Make sure organizationally they know, how to land, they know how to navigate. They know what meetings they can go to. They know where certain resources are. They know who to ask for what. Yeah. They know what campus building to go walk to. They know how to get their travel tickets paid for. All the things right. that people spend way too much time trying to figure right. out. Right. So, right. so make sure if you're going to, you know, uh, assimilate somebody well into your organization that those three needs mm-hmm. are met and they're met for the first year. Yeah. Um, if you want them to stay around for 10 years and have a real impact. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Ron, if I could add something to this too, I think um, one of the things that I put into practice years ago uh, that I think has been incredibly valuable as a leader um, bringing someone into the organization. And so depending on what level you are, you may be bringing in another business leader of some kind, but whether, no matter what level they are in the organization, when you bring someone in as a business leader, I think um, to your point about organizationally learning just some of those details about, you know, where do I go for this? How do I get this information? Do I have access to the parking garage? Uh, have you already set me up on my computer so that I feel like I'm, I'm at home whenever I come in? Um, but the other thing that I think that we can do as leaders is sit down and spend some time with the new uh, employee to let them know, here's what you need to know about me. Because I see way too often a new employee come in and it takes them three months just to figure out what are the nuances of this new boss that I have? What are the, uh, yep. what are the, the pet peeves? What are the things that I need to be aware of? What are the things that I know I'm walking on eggshells? What are the things that they really appreciate and like? And I think we can skip so much of that and get someone so much more comfortable in the environment if we as leaders would sit down with them and say, this is what you need to know about me. These are the things about me that I think are going to be beneficial for you to be aware of. If you do these three or four things every day or week, um, I'm going to be pleased with the progress you're making. And these are the things that if you come to me with this, it's just kind of gets under my skin. And uh, so I'd rather you hear it from me now than feel frustrated with it later as you walk on eggshells for the first three months and we aren't able to build a healthy relationship with each other. And I think as leaders, we've got to be willing to do that too. And I think that people were that transparent, but I think it needs to be two way, right? Mm-hmm. So now that I'm hired or now that I'm in this job, here's what, and here's what, here's how I best learn. Here's mm-hmm. how I, here's how I, here's how feedback works great for me. Here's how I don't right. take feedback well. Yeah. Right. So right. Right. It's a two way contracting process and it's not just with your boss. Mm-hmm. Right. So what we know is that, uh, of all the different relationships that can cause failure, um, it's peers and direct reports that are the earlier failures. Bosses can certainly play a, a disproportionate role in that, but that's, you know, at the higher up you go, the less right. of a role your boss plays in your success. Yeah, yeah. So if we can have those contracting conversations with every key stakeholder, especially in other departments, yeah. peers, or people who are politically seen as rivals, mm-hmm. uh, and your direct reports, um, so be that boss as well as have that boss, mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah, we would we would uh, bypass a glut of landmines. Mm-hmm. That people are are tap dancing and don't even know it. Right. So if I'm if I'm the business leader and uh, and I am in the job market, I'm out there looking for this next opportunity. What are some things that I can do, knowing that these are the roadblocks that I'm going to hit? What are some things that I can do through that um, vetting process as I'm vetting a potential new employer and as they are vetting me? What are some things that I can do to help avoid some of these pitfalls? in those first few months, whenever I get in, uh, to make sure that 
that I set myself up to succeed as well as setting this company up for, for success as well? Well, I think the first thing you have to recognize is um, there are going to be multiple versions of you that you mm-hmm. may not be able to control. Right. But you can control the narrative, right? You can let people know who you are. Um, start talking about your, your, the places you're not good um, from the very beginning. Don't let people discover your shortfalls for you. Tell mm-hmm. them, hey, you know what? He, he, here's an area I'm working on as a leader. Here's yeah. how you can help me. Mm-hmm. From the very beginning, let people, you know, it doesn't have to be like really inappropriate, you know, t- too much information stuff, but, sure. but, but at least let people see that you, you know, you're flawed before they have to figure it out for you. Yeah. Yeah. The second thing is, um, is don't be afraid to ask for what you need. Mm-hmm. Um, don't be afraid to say, you know, I, here, I'm, I need, I need this in a short deadline than you might be used to. Um, one of the things we discovered in our research was that, um, Many leaders are so afraid of being feared as, as a power monger or over controlling or over domineering that the greatest that we, so when we isolated for the dynamic of power and its abuse, we assume we would find that the classic, you know, self-indulgent, self-interested person who uses power for their own gain. And so those were there, but by far and away, far greater than that, the greatest abuse of power was the abandonment of it. People too afraid to use it. So if you feel like you're starting to give out way too many yeses so you can buy favor or win points with people or, you know, try and increase your popularity as the new person by, you know, currying up to people with, um, sure, go home right away, no problem. Um, You are doing yourself a very dangerous disservice. Mm -hmm. Um, Leadership is the ability to disappoint people at a rate they can absorb. Mm -hmm. And if you're afraid to disappoint people, especially in a higher perch, um, you may be setting yourself up to fail. No is the greatest gift you can give your organization. Yes. Narrowing their focus, staying on priorities, even saying no to, listen, when you're new, everybody and their mother is going to have the, the, the best idea yet for you. You know, they're going to, they're, they're all going to run in with a silver bullet about why their idea yeah. can change the world. And you have to say no to great ideas mm-hmm. so that the great ideas you're committing to can prevail. Yeah. And you have to be okay with that and, and let it be okay that somebody may be disappointed that their idea they've been sitting on for years because the last idiot wouldn't listen to them. Mm-hmm. Suddenly now this is their shot and you think, sure, it is a great idea. It's just not a great idea for right now yeah. or for the, for the plan I have to get done. Mm-hmm. Um, s- help people figure out how to take that energy and channel it in a way they can, they can actually contribute Right. But if you're so anxious about what you know, how they're going to feel about hearing no, mm-hmm. that you temper it or tap dance around it, or you try and soften the blow, mm-hmm. you're actually weakening your credibility. You may be softening the blow for that moment, yeah, but making yourself a weaker leader for them later. Yeah, um, you, I mean, yeah, you, you see that all the time. Uh, that that lack of willingness to get into that discomfortable, that uncomfortable conversation, uh, and what that leads to long term. And, uh, and, and I love your point there about how we're going to lose credibility in that. Um, and I think there's a lot of value in companies recognizing or leaders understanding to stay focused on who you are, on, on what your organization does, what you're best at, and not swaying from that. Uh, because it generally creates more distraction than it does any kind of benefit that it could add to the organization. So, Ron, one of the things, too, that, that I want to dive into here for just a second is... Um, if I'm a 
if I'm a business that is scaling and I'm growing and I realize that it's time for me to bring in uh, uh, another leader, another high level performer, um, what are some things that I need to do? And I think, I think one of the things that I really love about the way that you outline so much of this is a lot of this is around the preparation. We've got to be aware that it's happening. We've got to be aware of what could happen and we've got to prepare for it. And, and we often see in the talent acquisition space, we see a lack of preparation on the business side to get ready for a new person coming in. And again, we think, well, we're paying them well. We want them to hit the ground running. But there's so much need for us to prepare on that front end. So if I'm a business, I'm scaling, things are going well, and I say it's time for me to bring in uh, an operations manager. It's time for me to bring in a CEO. It's time for me to bring in this next high-level person. What do I need to do as, as a business to prepare for this to ensure that we don't get 18 months in and say this whole thing was a disaster and a failure and we just wasted $200,000 and all of our time? What do we do to get ready to make sure that this is a success? Uh, so the first thing I, I would want to know is how, how did you get to a decision that that was the job you needed? So, you know, when, when a business is scaling, mm-hmm. it's, it's mitosis, right? So work is what like cells in a body as it grows, work is dividing, right? How are you dividing the work? Um, it, 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 this all has to stem back to strategy, right? So whenever I walk into a scaling business, um, sometimes I, I see a growing business that didn't scale, right? So I see the, the $80 million company trapped in the body of a $30 million organization, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. A teenage boy in his dad's suit, right? Just didn't yeah. quite grow into himself. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and you, it's the mayhem, and they're trying to hire people desperately to just get bodies in to sort of man the man the, the pumps. Um, that's the most dangerous place to be hiring anybody because you're gonna be, they're all gonna be bad hires um, because you, you you don't know what it is you need them to do other than relieve you uh, and get get you home before nine o'clock at night. Yeah, or you're hiring all the people to do things you don't want to do. Um, when you're scaling a business, if, when I ask uh, many business leaders, show me your strategy, I get the mission statement, the vision statement, I get the values, I get the product orders from Costco, I get the sales quotas, I get the, here's the business plan we gave to get our Series B funding. Um, all very interesting. Doesn't tell me who you are. Right. So when you, when, until you can tell me wh- what customers you're saying no to, who will you not sell to? Mm. Um, why would people who do, who want what you sell, pick you over somebody else who does what you do? Mm-hmm. What distinguishes you and differentiate you? What capabilities do you have that, are, that you're better at than anybody else from the other eight, six, 10, 150 people in the greater Kentucky area that do what you do? Mm-hmm. And how do you know that's why they're picking you? Mm-hmm. Because when you can begin to tell me that, then I can say, okay, now I'm going to look at your budgets and your organization, and I should see that reflected in those choices. Right, so not all work is created equal, and we start when people start scaling through mayhem and and desperation, they treat all work equally. You have three types of work in your organization. You have competitive work, that's about fifteen percent of the activities in your organization that set you apart. It's the work that if you invest a dollar in that work, five dollars comes in the door. Yeah. It's your secret sauce. You have a body of work that's maybe another ten or fifteen percent of your work that's called competitive enabling or supportive work. It, it directly undergirds that competitive work. About 50 to 60% of the work you do is necessary. Mm. Keeps the lights on, keeps you out of jail, keeps you in compliance. You don't need to be better at it than anybody else. You just need to do it. Um, and you, the necessary work needs to be organized for maximum efficiency. The least amount of bodies and money with the greatest amount of impact. Your competitive enabling and competitive work has to have your best talent, your best people, your best resources. If that's, that's your Navy SEALs. And so often when I walk into these organizations, Kyle, 
it's all mixed up. Mm. People who are doing competitive work in the morning are doing necessary work in the afternoon. And the minute you mix that work, you dilute the competitive work because the necessary work is what, what sets your hair on fire. It's what needs to be done by three o'clock. It's what needs to be done today. Um, and, and the gravitational pull and, and the sense of gratification that comes from putting out the fire keeps me addicted to the necessary work and the competitive work and the enabling work. I never get to it. Mm-hmm. So, so until you, you tell me where you put the boundaries yeah. um, at work, I, I don't know who you, who you should be hiring. So if right. you tell me you're going to hire a VP of operations and I might say, what are they, how are they going to spend their day? Mm-hmm. Um, and you can't tell me what value they're going to add to your competitive work. I'm going to say, don't hire them mm-hmm. until you show me you've optimized your necessary work and, and you've protected your competitive work right. from the necessary evils. Um, and you, and you're, and you're invested in enabling work to make sure your competitive work shows up every day, keeping mm-hmm. your door open, keeping your customers thrilled to keep people coming to keeping the right customers coming to your door. I don't want you to hire anybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, and, and I know in a small business, you know, if you get five or 10 employees, um, that work all kind of sometimes gets, gets spread apart amongst different people. But do you advise that as a, as an organization grows that you actually keep those roles and those tasks separated by employee as well? So you have certain employees that are focused primarily on necessary work and others that are focused primarily on competitive or, or does it not, is it, are, are we not able to um, separate them out that far within the organization? Um, uh, so sometimes I think to your point, when you only have 10 employees, you don't have the luxury of doing that, right? Mm -hmm. The the boundaries are blurred and that's fine. Um, I think the issue is when, how do you want people to make trade-offs? So if I'm, if I'm somebody whose role has been defined around a a certain type of customer, Mm -hmm. um, and so we're, we're organized around customer segments and there's 10 of us and some of us serve big companies and some of us serve, serve homes and, as long as I know what activities I do that are, are, are the true secret sauce versus what activities I do that just keep the lights on. Right. And, and during the day, how am I making trade-offs when I, you know, I got more tasks to fill my day than um, I c- can actually accomplish. Mm-hmm. How do I know how to choose the competitive work mm. over the necessary work? Yeah. Um, and have I made, ha, as a leader, have I made that clear how I want that done? Mm-hmm. Um, and when you have to, when there's a plate in the air, your phrase is going to fall off the, off the stick, um, which plates are okay to have that happen and which plates don't. And of course, when you hear more plates falling than you want to, that probably tells you you're, you missed that opportunity a long time ago to get the right amount of resources and there to do the work. Yeah. Um, yeah. But if competitive plates are falling, um, that's a sign that you really miss. You, 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 you got the wrong exit on the highway a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's where, uh, you know, we hear it all the time and, and experience it where you say, gosh, I was really busy today, but I didn't get anything done. And, uh, and that's where you filled your day up with necessary work, but not necessarily any competitive work. And so at the end of the day, you really didn't help advance the organization or, um, or do the things that really set you apart. Um, and that's what we have to be careful of. I think, especially in the small and mid-sized market base is, is, uh, doing the necessary work because we find it necessary, but then forgetting about the competitive work and understanding that's really what's going to keep us open next month and next year. And I think many, if you ask many business owners, do you know what your competitive work is? They often don't, or they think it's the, they, they think they know, mm-hmm. um, and they're wrong, right? Cause they really haven't differentiated themselves and strategically. So they think that work that is the most satisfying or the thing that they happen to be really good at themselves that started the business, mm-hmm. that that's the competitive work. And you may think that's what you're selling, but it's not what your customers are buying. Mm, good point. Yeah. The, the, 
one thing I, I want to, because I know we're, we're uh, running low on time here and um, I don't want to miss this. One of the things that you um, break down or outline are the four capabilities that set leaders apart. Um, can you, can you kind of briefly explain to us what, what does that look like? What are those four capabilities that really separate or really set leaders apart? So uh, the other part of our research that was really fun was while we were able to figure out all the things that are tripping up leaders in the half that fail in 18 months, we weren't able to ask, what are the other half doing? If, if they're actually sticking the landing and thriving at a higher perch, mm-hmm. how are they doing it? Uh, and we cut the data up a gazillion different ways. And these four patterns kept recurring in every possible cut of the data. Um, the, the, the challenge was the success group in the, in the, in the research was good at all four. So if you were only good at three of the four, you didn't, you ended up in the failure group that that was the challenge. Uh, But the upside is they can all be learned. Um, Waiting till you get your first big job to start learning them is probably not a good idea, Um, (laughs) but you can start learning them well before you get even your first supervisory job. First one is context. So these are the leaders that could be curious and read the environment around them. They didn't come in swinging. They didn't come in, hit the ground learning. They really were curious and came in, hit the ground running and, and learning. They came in and asked questions. They came in and, and realized that they had as much to have changed in them as they had to change in the environment around them. They yeah. knew they had to adapt and they asked good questions to learn how they could be successful. Mm-hmm. The second one was breadth. So the higher up you go, even in a 10 person company or a thousand person company, right. they're always seen. They're always fragmentation. They're always people who are pulled apart. Um, and the higher up you go, the more important it is to build bridges, to create seams, uh, to up in finance, you see the world economically. If you grew up in marketing, you see the world through consumers. Well, you don't have the luxury of doing that anymore. You now need to see how the pieces all fit together. You need to see that the whole has to be greater than the sum of the parts, and you need to figure out how to do it. Um, So create cohesion and build bridges. The third was connection. So these are the relationships. These are, and every company has these. These are the people everybody wants to work for. You want to be around them. You're going to learn from them. Uh, They're smart. They're kind. You trust them. Uh, and they have these amazing relationships with their bosses, with their peers, with direct reports, with customers. Um, the thing that this group did in our research that set them apart was they prioritized their stakeholders, not according to who they needed things from, but according to who they could contribute to. Hmm. They invested their time in who could I help make successful? Who, who needs something from me? Whose agenda can I help advance? Mm-hmm. Um, and, that, and that's what garnered the credibility that made people want to be around them. Mm-hmm. And the last one was choice. Is it, you know, these people knew how to construct great hard choices. They knew what data, what intuition, what past experience, what other voices to blend to make any given decision. They didn't have a one size fits all to making their choices, and they were not afraid to say no. Yeah, comfortable disappointing people. They could narrow priorities and keep to those priorities. They didn't. They, you know, there wasn't the sense of hey, what's today's priorities? Or my God, priorities keep changing. Or if I have to go to one more meeting. You know, yeah. all the symptoms of bad decision-making that show up, these leaders could keep the organization on track. Yeah. So breadth, context, choice, connection, one thing with four parts, but if you learn to do them well, um, you will definitely stick the landing in a new leadership role. That's, that is excellent, excellent advice. I love it, Ron. Thank you. Um, 
Well, this is incredible, and I, and I know I could uh, I could take your entire afternoon talking through these things. But um, tell us how can we learn more about? I know you've got several books out. Um, you've done some amazing research that that uh, has been featured in the Harvard Business Review, um, and obviously your firm and how you're able to help some companies. So tell us how can we connect, uh, learn more about what you've got going on, and, and benefit from some of the many resources you have out there today. Yeah, so come and uh, come and hang out with us at Navalent, N-A-V-A-L-E-N-T dot com. We've got great videos and white papers and eBooks um, on. Uh, we've got uh, a, a quarterly magazine you can subscribe for for free that talks about all the things we're up to and mm-hmm. with organizations and teams and leadership. Um, if you are leading some type of change in your future, some type of transformation, we have a free ebook called Leading Transformation mm-hmm. that you can, it's our playbook, so you can download it at navalent.com slash transformation mm-hmm. uh, and learn more about how we go after big change that and, and make it stick. Uh, Twitter at Ron Carucci or on LinkedIn. So come hang out and keep chatting. All right. Perfect, Ron. Thank you so much. And this is just uh, some great information. Uh, I may have to to have you come on again sometime and dive into some more of these things because I I think we barely scratched the surface on uh, on so much of this amazing information. So thank you for taking time out of your schedule to come share with us today. And um, I I really, really appreciate uh, your insights and advice. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us on the Employer Blueprint Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show to receive the latest episodes. For more information on how Employer Blueprint can help build great teams in your business, visit EmployerBlueprint.com. Or to inquire about Kyle speaking at your next event, visit KyleGorman.com. And until next time, make it a great day. Make it a great day.